as a editor's note, this episode is going to have a lot of static. One of the guests had a pretty staticky mic, tried my best to clean it up as much as possible. So I do apologize for the static and hope you guys enjoy the episode. <laughs> Good evening, good afternoon, and good morning. Welcome to Table Flip. I believe this is going to be episode 13 or 14. I don't remember because I didn't check my show notes because I'm awesome. But I am your host, Bazile Patrick Cannon. Joined with me is some new host because uh, we are changing a lot of things on Table Flip over the next year, uh, including hosts. Uh, we do have Matt DBMe Boy, a.k.a. Um, Red CCG5 as well, joining with us. He is one of our new co-anchors, as well as... Nick, a.k.a. Agent 710 Frost, is another counterpart in crime here on the show. How are you guys doing today? Oh, good morning, evening, and whatever other time people are watching this. <laughs> this is Matt here. Um, doing great. Excited for today's lineup. We got more multiplayer stuff. Yay! And this should, this, this should be posted, what, like the day before... Um, Balance of the Force hits the streets. Normally it goes up Wednesday, so should be. Yeah, yeah. Nick, how are you? I'm good, guys. It's uh, nice to be here. I'm glad to join the uh, podcast. Excellent, excellent. Now, before we uh, continue, I do want to introduce a guest that we have on the show. We do have a Jedi Master with us. Adam, how are you today? Doing pretty fantastic. Thanks for having me on today, guys. Hey, no problem. Thanks for taking time out of your day. And we are recording this on Sunday... Uh, December 8th, and like Matt said, this should be up before the multiplayer comes out, like a day or two before. So hopefully we'll see it in stores on Friday, which would be spectacular. That is if, if my local store actually buys it. So, yeah. But you know what? There is a lot of things to talk about this week. Um, we're going to be talking about a couple decks that we've been testing, mainly a... Um, uh, a couple interesting light side variations, as well as um, a little bit more in depth about the tricolor deck. We mentioned about it last week, as well as the hobo table, which was a kind of a different variation of the um, deck that uh, hobo was uh, using. I played with him, and uh, he'll be a guest on the show coming up later uh, in, in the next few episodes. So before we begin, um, I want to take a little bit of time and kind of get a little background from our new host before we go right into everything. So Matt, why don't you give us a little bit of background on your card game experience, just kind of a quick summary of the games that you've been uh, played in the past. All right. Well, I started out with the Star Wars CCG. Um, the late 90s is when I picked it up. I was in elementary school, so... I didn't really start with the rules very well. Uh, we, we kind of we, a, a friend of mine found the intro decks at a garage sale, and we didn't have didn't come with the rule book, so we kind of made up our own rules for a while. Um, but I played that for a long time. Still do occasionally. Um, I found some people to play with at Gen Con even this summer. Nice. So 
I've gone from being halfway decent at the game to really, really bad because I don't <laughs> play very often anymore. Um, other games I've played, um, played Magic. It was more or less impossible to not learn how to play Magic in my scout troop. Yeah. Everyone did. Um, let's see, played L5R a little bit. Um, once again, was at just the right age to get Pokemon when it came out. Best game ever. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> oh, come on. You don't like turn one Sableye Windex? Those are so much fun. Oh, you're you're well past my Pokemon plane. I think I got through oh. um, huh? four or five expansions. Okay, fair enough. Then none of my cards made the move with me down here to Tennessee. They're all probably still in my parents' house somewhere. Gotcha. Then play Lord of the Rings, the LCG. Okay. And, of course, Star Wars, which I did not get to the Gen Con when they demoed the multi the multiplayer co-op version. But I was there, um, I guess, a year and a half ago when they first demoed this version. And, um, you know, I've been playing it since day one. Actually... Since before day one, when the when they gave out the starter decks to people um, at the World Championships that year before they came out, okay. I actually printed out proxies of <laughs> the decks and was like teaching my family to play. That's awesome. Proxy cards. Very nice. It was fun. Very nice. So it sounds like you've been card gaming for quite a long time like as is most of us have nick what about you what's your background in the card gaming genre uh, so i'll admit i have absolutely zero experience outside of star wars uh, i'm probably in the minority in that i've never played magic i think i've sat through one hand before i was just you know, overwhelmed and <laughs> you know of course you're playing against somebody who has a million cards and they're like oh here's the refuse that i don't use so I've never really gotten into it until I picked up Star Wars, mm -hmm. and that was back in maybe April or so. A buddy of mine goes to the comic book shop in the area. He got me the starter box, and then I've just bought everything since, and uh, that's how I met you guys and started playing on Octagon. And unfortunately, I haven't been to any of the tournaments, but uh, if there's somebody streaming Star Wars or playing Star Wars on Octagon, I'm usually a part of it. So cool. Uh, I'm obsessed with Star Wars, and... Uh, as opposed to Matt, um, I'm actually an attorney uh, by day. That's my day job. So I'm the rules lawyer uh, <laughs> of everything. So people, my friend especially, is constantly asking me questions. Like, oh, I played this, uh, you know, guy, and we tried to do X, Y, and Z. And I said, well, you know, did you read page four of the rule book? You know, uh, you're you're doing it wrong. So <laughs> you're uh, so, wrong. Yeah, nice. and I'm not afraid to say that. Uh, Secrets of Yavin Four has caused a, a number of arguments. Uh, at my table really in terms let's just say uh, it was a big discovery for my friend to figure out that uh he couldn't uh, trigger it until after i had declared all of my attackers and whatnot and he kept trying to be like well you you can never attack it you know I, i've figured out all these ways to stop you from ever blowing up objectives and yeah i'm like you're wrong <laughs> eh, well you know what it's a good thing that that was clarified in the faq anyway so I, oh, I still think the FAQ has it wrong. Yeah, yeah, the FAQ is just interesting, we'll put it that way. There's a couple of rulings by FFG where you're just kind of like, what? That doesn't make any sense. That's, no, no, that's not how it's worded, no. 
Eh, well. Um, so, Adam, while we're on the topic, what's your background in card gaming? Well, I think I'm, I may be the oldest person in the room today. Uh, I started playing Magic the Gathering at beta. Oh, when wow. I was in high school. So uh, I've been playing games for the better part of 20 years. So I played Magic the Gathering. Um, I actually totally undercut the local card store where I grew up in a little town in, in, <laughs> in Indiana by going to, by driving to Indianapolis and buying Pokemon cards and selling them to elementary school kids. That's amazing. Um, but so I played Pokemon star Wars CCG, of course, as well. Uh, in fact, up until this year, the, uh, the players committee, the ones that continue the game, I, I worked on the proofing team for them. So oh, that's cool. If I, I traveled, I've traveled all over the place to play Star Wars CCG, even in Europe. So um, I love that game. Uh, however, comma, as soon as this game came out and there were people in the local area that were playing a game that was actually alive that I could go to the store and buy cards for, um, I made a uh, an, almost, an almost instantaneous complete transition to uh, to this game. So I've been playing Star Wars LCG exclusively since about january or february of this year okay so pretty much when most of the rest of us started when it first came out because the game launched well it had its soft launch in late late december and then it had its actual launch in what it was january something i think i don't remember when the yeah the the local stores here unfortunately didn't get it until until that time so Mm -hmm. when when i could buy them locally i bought them yeah i I was in the same boat i think matt you were in the same boat and uh, nick you were in the same boat too too weren't you yeah, my local meta is just me and one other person. So nice. uh, my local card store doesn't do any of the game nights. They stopped getting in any of the exclusive cards. Oh, so that sucks. Um, I live vicariously through people with more popular metas and things like that. But uh, it's it's slowly developed, you know, to where at least the store stocks what's coming out right. from FFG if it's not exclusive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm going to be using Team Covenant's um, Force Pack thing next year because my local store is just not a very well put together and ran store. We'll put it that way. So, um, this th- this kind of brings up an interesting point: is local metas are very very different. I mean, me and Nick obviously don't really have one. I mean, literally, it's just me and a couple people at my local store that usually never show up or want to play something else for some odd reason. So, I, I, I don't think the interest is there anymore. So, I, I just kind of count it as just me. Um, Matt, I know that you go over and play where Nate's um, old um, meta was every once in a while. But do you have any local meta where you are, or is it just you by yourself as well? Well, with about a half-hour drive, um, there's a store in Kingsport that has a couple of players. Mm -hmm. They actually carpooled down with me to one of Nate's tournaments, but not quite enough to get any active... active tournaments i attempted to talk that store into applying for the um store championship yeah they applied for x-wing and game of thrones but not enough interest for um star wars yeah unfortunately Uh, that's gonna be the same with me i think what's gonna happen what's what's end up gonna happening is me and nate are gonna split it 30 30 and then just kind of have it shipped to one of our local stores and then split the thing and ship it to whoever else is gonna actually uh do that. So th- I think that that's what we are going to do because um, now that Nate lives elsewhere, he doesn't actually have a local meta that or an, an, a local store that I know of. I haven't, I haven't talked to him since his move, so 
Um, he's been very, very busy with that. But I know he got there safely at least, so that's a plus. But um, uh, Nick, you said it's just you and one other person. So is that just like a buddy of yours then? That is uh, exactly okay. it. Uh, he actually moved down to D.C. for a, a lawyering job, so now we don't even play together in person. That but. sucks. Yeah, that, that that's – you know what? I'm, I'm really finding that a lot of people are having a lot uh, – just a really big problem finding people that want to play this game, and which is a big shame because I, it's a great game. I mean it's, there's a lot of really cool different styles uh, of playing. I mean yeah, right now the card pool is pretty limited, but um, I think that this year is going to really open up some really cool possibilities. Um, just on that yes. note, uh, Patrick, I think one of the things too is that FFG's had a lot of success with Netrunner. And at least at my local store, there's, you know, two games of Netrunner, you know, 2v2 going on mm-hmm. constantly. And then my buddy and I, his name is John, uh, we would be sitting there playing Star Wars and, you know, the store owner would be like, well, why would I try and sell you Star Wars when I can sell eight people right. uh, Netrunner? So, well, you uh, know, th- that can be a problem. But the problem with my local store is is they're they're not willing to try and go out of their magic comfort zone, which pisses me off because I think magic is a terrible game. Don't crucify me for that. But I just it's not as good as it used to be. There's too many cards. The balance is like my friend who plays it all the time just constantly complains that they're they're taking out cards because they obviously can't really keep up with the amount of decks that players can actually come up with. So like that's just coming from him. I have I could be completely wrong, but I've I'm not a magic fan mainly mainly because a lot of those players that I've met in my local store are kind of assholes. <laughs> so so like I kind of have like a bad taste in my mouth for for that game. Like I used to play it way back when, and it was re- it's really it's really fun if you just kind of play with like a group of friends. But I think the the tournament scene, at least from what my friend has been telling me, is just a lot of players are way too competitive and take it too seriously and get, get like really really upset when they win. And like Star Wars, like I don't think I've ever heard of any story of someone like legitimately flipping a table. No pun intended. Uh, when they lose, I mean. I think that the... Well, go ahead. I was just going to say, if I can interject here for a minute, I think, though, that part of this has to do with the way that organized play is designed for Magic the Gathering or how it has evolved over the years. Magic the Gathering is a, is a, money, is a money system, yes. right? So you could go to the Las Vegas Grand Prix that happened just a couple of weeks ago, and I believe the payout was around $10,000 wow. for winning. And so, but they had, they had 700 people that went there to play. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with a developing organized play division at Fantasy Flight Games, I think that we'll start to see a better organized play environment. And I think that they're already taking steps in the right direction. I'm not certain if you all have seen, but they've decided to discontinue Warhammer Invasion. Hmm. And I think that's because they realize that having six living card games, three of which are fantasy, right? Right, right. Is probably bad if... If the shelf, if the um, the shelf appeal, when you're going in to buy a game, if you don't know anything about any of them, you're gonna only, you're probably only gonna choose one of them by choosing two or even three of them. Right. And right. so, and so, I think that the organized play division of Fantasy Flight is gonna get better, and I think that we'll all see our local metas grow because the game is popular. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the amount of traffic that goes on about this game. There's only one other game right now that that supersedes it clearly, and then there's another one that ebbs and flows. A got ebbs and flows depending on what's going on, 
Netrunner is clearly ahead. Yes. And Star Wars sits somewhere between two and three. And I think that we'll see that change, A, as organized flight, organized play changes, and B, as more cards come into the game. I mean, it sounds like y'all have played the Star Wars CCG, and someone pointed this out the other day on the boards. Um, they pointed out the fact that probably through uh, Premiere, A New Hope, and maybe even as even through Hoth, all the way until Dagobah, you pretty much played the top decks were the same decks. Mm-hmm. The cards there were so very few changes that happened, and that's the way that the game develops. Now we've got this fantastic system here, this objective set system, that I think adds a lot of functionality into creative deck building. Because now I don't just have to figure out how to use one card efficiently. I have to figure out how to use five cards efficiently. Right, right. And I think there are a lot of people that really enjoy that. So I kind of tangented there at the end. But uh, I think that that's the major difference is that organized play is just organized differently here. But the metas will grow as organized play develops. That's actually a very, very good point. Um, I think... And, you know, I think all of our hopes is, is for those of us that don't have a, a bigger meta, is that Fantasy Flight is starting to realize that the top games that they are going to make the most money off of is obviously going to be Netrunner, Star Wars, and then probably a, uh, Game of Thrones. And I, I I really think that Game of Thrones is probably going to die off eventually because I, I don't think it's as popular. At least it's not as popular where I'm at. A lot of my local card shops don't even carry it. Um, most of them are usually carry Netrunner, X-Wing, and then usually Star Wars starts to get carried if if they uh, if customers ask for it. So I would definitely agree, Adam, that um, Fantasy Flight's probably making the the better move to kind of limit what they're going to do as far as production-wise, and hopefully that will kind of give them a little bit more freedom and resources to get the smaller metas um, kind of growing and, and boosting in popularity. Because it is frustrating when you when you hear p- uh, people like Tiny or um, a couple other the other um, forum guys on card games like oh yeah we have like twenty people and you're like wow that'd be great to have I have one person and I sit at home and cry to myself to sleep because I can't do anything it's just like like I can't tell how many times I actually play against myself to text my, test my own decks I mean you can only do that so many times before you kind of feel weird but um, uh, speaking of meta and just kind of the way that the game is being developed and how it's progressing two versus two is i think slowly becoming very very popular as far as uh, people's thoughts on it because i know when it was first announced there was kind of like a 50 50 split of like eh, two versus two sounds stupid or oh my gosh i've been waiting for this forever and now i think it's kind of becoming more of a probably a 70-30 split in favor of 2 versus 2 because it was previewed at Worlds um, uh, on stream and it was you saw some really interesting decks and some really cool objectives that normally aren't used. So let's actually kind of talk about that for a little bit. Um, Adam, as you uh, stated on um, the card game, um, the event that you had is being rescheduled due to weather, which is unfortunate. But um, what can you tell us about the event how it's going to be portrayed, how it's going to be ran, and um, just kind of the overall uh, details about 2 versus 2 that uh, some of us might not be able to experience because it's just us, but we're still going to buy Balance of the Force. Certainly. So first about the event, like I said, I was really unfortunate. Uh, I had 
about five teams that said that they were going to be able to come and play. So 10 players, which actually worked out to my advantage because what I wanted to do was to was whoever had the buy would play against the challenge deck. Okay. So that way they would have an opportunity to get exposure to the challenge deck without having to build something different or come in a different day. And we could optimize or maximize our time. And uh, I was going to give them the opportunity to either take the points for winning or losing before the game started Mm -hmm. at an eight or a zero. And uh, because I had some leftover game night kit material, I was going to offer anyone that played for points, they were going to get some Arabesh cards regardless of whether they won or they lost. So that was that was the thrust of how this event was going to be organized. I did have uh, two people that showed up. And so if you were to do a search in on YouTube for uh, for Balance of the Force or the Colorado LCG League, you'll be able to find that video and you'll see how it played. The game took about 56 minutes, which, uh, which is about on par for what it was at the World Tournament as well, the World Championship event weekend. Uh, the games took about an hour to play, between 40 minutes and an hour, with two players. With three players, they were taking about an hour and 20 minutes. So a full round of multiplayer, which is how they ran it at Worlds, 90-minute right. rounds. So uh, I, I definitely uh, was looking forward to doing it, and it didn't happen. So that was the first part of the question. What was the second thing you were asking? Um, just kind of what the uh, – okay, so how is, this, how, how is this scoring different than a one versus one? It's, well, it's my next question. W- w- without going too much just in what you can read from the rules document, the cliff note version is that the Death Star Dial for the dark side has to get to 16. Okay. And it's really important that the de- that the dark side players understand that each player, as they take objectives, it counts up the dial, but it counts by individual and not by team. So if you and I both take both take out one objective. The dial is only advanced by two and not three for two objectives being destroyed. Okay. And so it and so it be, it becomes a little bit of a challenge um, for the dark side player, which is something that people talked about about how unfair it was that the Death Star dial only had to go up to sixteen, mm-hmm. where the light side player had to take out five objectives. So basically, double almost double the number of objectives, but not double the number of ticks on the Death Star dial. And that's one way that Fantasy Flight Games has kind of balanced the two of them. So if you build one deck that's a strong strike deck and another dark deck, for example, that's a support style or a tactic deck, mm-hmm. which is definitely a strategy that I think that everyone should investigate. By the way, um, you're only going to get you're going to get the most bang for your buck by having one player who constantly has all of the heavy hitters and is just beating down on that on their opponent, their, the opponent that's sitting directly across from them. Okay. Uh, for the light side, their objective is to take out five. Their their yeah their objective is to take out five objectives. And uh, it might sound like it's difficult, but I actually believe that the light side in 2v2 format is favored. Even though they don't necessarily have as many fantastically outstanding cards like the dark side has. And I think that people have talked about that at endum, that the dark side is just stronger right now. The light side gains advantage in that it's, it's only five objectives. We're talking somewhere about 25 damage. Um, but uh, we can talk more about how some cards are really good in 2v2 and some cards have gotten even better from 1v1 
and uh, we can talk about that and it'll uh, uh, we can discuss a little bit about damage as well later on yeah i mean as far as the the cards go i mean obviously the cards like vader's fix uh, vader's fix vader's fist um a dark time for the rebellion are obviously obviously going to be like super huge good cards for the dark side to have uh, as far as objective pulls i mean dark side uh a dark time for the rebellion allows the dark side player to force the light side player to damage an objective of his, of his choice and it's each opponent so every turn until that objective is destroyed even if even if it has damage on it your your opponent is damaging their own objectives just because that objective is out and if that's two on the field that's two damage for both players every turn the both objectives are out in the field vader's fist same thing you, you can only have a reserve value of my, uh, you have a reserve value of minus 1 which is a huge thing in this game card draws just such a huge factor um what other objectives or cards have you found to be like either a little bit broken or a little bit underrated? All right. So um, when we when you sent me the, the questions earlier, I, uh, I went ahead and did a quick search just to refresh my memory. So I picked out, if it's okay, I picked out two different objective sets for each side mm -hmm. that are way better now. And then I picked out uh, I picked out one for each side that is even better than it was before. So uh, starting with the dark side, Sabotage in the Snow, which I'm not certain how many other people play it. Y'all have seen me on Card Game Database and other places. I'm, an, I'm a Navy player myself. Mm -hmm. And so I play Sabotage in the Snow because of its shielding ability. Right. But what's important to understand, especially about the multiplayer environment, and this is going back to your initial question, is understanding key terms. So friendly means both you and your teammate. So the two copies of forward command post now get fantastic because they say enhance your play area. Each friendly shielded unit gains a non-edge dependent blast icon. And so forward command post goes from being a pretty decent card already if your deck is tuned for it to being an absolutely fantastic card because there are units that gain shielding across the spectrum right. even outside of Navy. So um, I would say that Sabotage in the Snow went from being good uh, if you're playing Navy and maybe not so much if you're playing a different faction mm -hmm. to being really good in the multiplayer environment. So that's one. The second one, and I think that y'all will find this one surprising, is the Shadow of Narshada. Do y'all even know what that one does or what it has inside of it? Th that's actually one of me and Matt's favorite objectives. <laughs> okay. So, 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 th so then y'all are very acquainted then with the, uh, with the Aqualish Thug. Which, for those of those people who are listening, let me read you what the text says. It says, Reaction. After this unit enters play, each opponent must deal two damage, divided among any number of objectives he controls. And so, why is this card, or why are these objectives so fantastic? Because if you can see all four of them over the course of a game, that is, um, that is 16 damage that the light side has to deal with. Oh, right. and by the way... The Aqualish Thug is also one of only a handful of units for Scum that has blast damage. And so uh, the Shadow of Narshada gets absolutely fantastic. Um, I definitely, I don't know how many people play it uh, in 1v1. It sounds like y'all are fans, but, uh, but it definitely becomes a heavy consideration for anyone that's either planning on priming Scum or splashing scum. I mean, the objective itself is awesome. I would definitely agree. In two versus two, it like just is just so good. And one versus one, not so much because they cost three. Um, 
like as a starting card to play, yeah, you have to divide two damage up um, amongst your light side objectives. But generally, that's only gonna that's gonna be the only card you play, and it only has one HP. So in like a one versus one setup, I don't feel it's as good. But also the effect that the Shadows of Narshada gives you is you can completely take out attackers or uh, attackers when they're trying to kill things. So the Falcon goes in, you're like, well, I'm going to put two focus on this, and the Falcon can't do anything. And it's just like, oh. So, I mean, as far as like a utility objective set, I, I can definitely see this playing a lot of heavy roles in two versus two. Um, Matt, do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's a good example of an objective set that works great in two versus two and not as well in one versus one. Uh, it's definitely not something I'd ever want to run two of in one versus one. It It's one I always find myself trying to find a way to fit in and just can't make the cut right. because the units are too expensive and too fragile. Um, but when you get four damage instead of two damage from playing those, all of a sudden... They're amazingly efficient, and oh yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think that's a that's great, and I look forward to seeing some of these cards that I've looked at and like eh, I can't quite play it. Mm-hmm. Instead, turn into all stars and yeah, bring some great variety. Uh, Nick, any, so, Nick, any other comments on that one? I just have to agree. I mean, you know, the Aqualish Thug is is super fragile. It's it's Han Solo, you know, fodder essentially. You know, right. he's got that reaction. Boom, you know, he's dead. But that sixteen damage, like you said, Adam, is just incredible. Um, and that's the interesting thing that I really like about the two v two is that it's going to cause players to reconsider building a deck not just for what you would play in a one v one deck to go after, you know, an objective uh, or to you know. Uh, beef up the dark side dial, but you know to have a really uh, great synergy between two players, and right. and that's one of the things I'm always curious about and watching people play is the psychology of it. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing how people uh, factor that in. So uh, one of the things you mentioned earlier, Adam, was the concept of how uh, you know the dial won't click up uh, from one to two to three amongst each player. It's it's individual, and it's almost uh, interesting to think about how a, a deck might be focused on having one player just always defeat the objective while the other player is just doing that three or four points of damage so that the other player on their turn can just come in and, and take it away. And that dial is just, you know, just being charged up every single time, which would be cool. So... Uh... Patrick, if I can if I can add one more reattack onto this, mm-hmm. since, Go ahead. since we talked about it, there is another concept about two v two that I think is really important before I, before we move on to the light side objective sets, and that is the thought process behind between behind focusing two objective sets in one player's deck by splitting splitting it between two players. I'll give you two examples. Uh, the first is Council of the Sith. So everyone loves this objective. Uh, I played at Worlds. I played an all navy deck and splashed uh, Council of the Sith without any affiliation on my affiliation card match because I wanted to play the ATATs, and it did great for me. And this objective set obviously allows you the reaction to draw a card after your opponent's turn begins. Right. And and when we discussed 2v2 theory with the guys that I was I was playing around with before we went to the world event, uh, we talked about how important this one might be to split between the two people. 
And that's because which is it's better for both players to be drawing that extra card than to have the opportunity for one player to draw to draw two. And so there are some objective sets that I think that you'll see divided among the two because you want to see the frequency of either the objective or the cards in the objective set come up uh, more often. Because if you have two people burning through their decks, the chances of you getting it sooner is much much greater, like the Devastator, for right. example, which is the second one that I wanted to point out. Huh, interesting. That is a very, very good point, actually. See, for me, two versus two is just kind of listening to what everyone else's ideas are because I'm not going to have a chance to play two versus two probably ever, which really is unfortunate because I, I don't have a anyone to really play with. Um, I've tried to get my wife into it, and she just was like, I, I don't get it. I, I, what's the point? I don't get it. <laughs> so I was like, that's ah, okay. You tried. That, that's all that counts. But she can kick my butt in Mario Kart, and I guess that means something. Um, so uh, for the light side, what has been the kind of underrated objectives and cards that you've found so far? All right. So I, uh, I said I had I said I had two, but it's really like two and a half. Two and a half. Um, the, the reason for that is because there are two objective sets for the light side that have very similar types of effects mm-hmm. that both are very effective in multiplayer. The first is last minute. The pair is last minute rescue and knowledge and defense. So the last minute rescue, the entire objective set, I believe, was designed with multiplayer in mind because every one of the cards can benefit you in a multiplayer environment. The redemption, for example, lets when it says interrupt when a character unit is destroyed, return it to its owner's hand instead of placing it in its owner's discard pile. Mm-hmm. And that lets once returned. Of course, that almost that exact text is found on the knowledge and defense objective set. Yep. Um, emergency repair, same sort of idea. Remove all damage from a target objective. This means that you don't even have to have a resource match. Your teammate can be playing uh, this one doesn't require a resource match at all so emergency repair can be passed back and forth between the common reserve and can really repair a very critical objective set say like questionable contacts which we already talked about han a little bit earlier Mm -hmm. force rejuvenation is, is exactly the same the card that really shines out and i i will tell you right now that people that don't like the killing cold for the dark side should really, and Desolation of Hoth inside of it, really need to take a look at what Confronting the Terror says from Knowledge and Defense and consider how often you might see it in future multiplayer events. It says, Interrupt. When when damage is dealt to a friendly unit or objective, your opponent must instead divide that damage among any number of units and objectives he controls. So... I just, I imagine, you know, a devastator coming in and trying to wreck house and you <laughs> defend and you're looking at, you know, you're looking at four, you, have, you can either choose their unit damage or their blast damage, depending on if you want to keep your unit or the objective alive right. and balancing that right back. And it doesn't even have to go back at that same player. I can deflect it over to my opponent who might be playing, who might just have, you know, Emperor Palpatine and... Uh, you know, something else on the table at at that stage in the game and then have to figure out how to deal with that three or four damage. Right. So I definitely think, like I said, so so those are the pair. So the damage reduction ability for the Jedi is definitely something that I think many people will be exploring as a concept in multiplayer as a fantastic supporting role and maybe even a main 
function of one of your one of your players on your side of the force. Mm-hmm. The second one, the second concept, um, and I'll like I said, I'll point out one objective set because there are many that have this. Uh, many from many objectives and many cards from the Hoth series say while you control more Hoth objectives than your opponent, then something happens. Yes, right. It's very it's also very important to understand that the way that FFG has ruled on this is that you get to choose which of your opponents, if you're in multiplayer, you get to target with this with this check. Right. So if you have someone who builds a sweet Hoth deck and someone else that's playing all the support stuff like a scum or even a even a Sith deck, now I can choose which of the two of you I get to choose. And so I think that the while you control more X is going to see a lot more play as a concept, especially as multiplayer develops, because you can get some pretty fantastic effects out of that. Hoth operations, the sensor, correction, sensors are placed, attack pattern delta, just to name a few. Mm. No, I I would definitely agree with that. I think think Hoth is probably going to see a little bit more play and usefulness in multiplayer than it has in single player because let's be honest they're really like single player hoth like yeah they're really fun to play but they're not that consistent and they're kind of they don't have enough um i think consistency is probably the the best word to really describe a lot of the just like all straight up hoth decks dark side obviously has a lot better variation of hoth uh decks than light side does which kind of sucks um, I mean, we have like the Hoth speeder deck that you could play in single player, but it's just it's not consistent. I mean, if Attack Pattern Delta is not constantly giving you those units, you're pretty much screwed. I mean, once Palpatine comes on the field, once the uh, Dark Side player has a lot of two cost units, you, you're just kind of like, oh yeah, cool. I can I have Rogue Leader, and you have like 16 different units. Ah, oh, this will be fun. So I, I would definitely agree that multiplayer, I think, is going to be using the uh, the Hoth a lot more efficiently than the the single player. Uh, Nick, do you have any uh, comments on that? I, I just think that, you know, it's 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 interesting you, you kind of harp on uh, the speeder deck because I know there's a lot of people out there who love it, and, and I think it, it can be consistent, and I'm just trying to conceptualize what uh, two people running a very aggressive speeder deck with a lot of support for that would be like in a 2v2 situation. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, I mean, I guess I'm in the minority because I like the speeder deck a lot. Uh, it's always been pretty consistent for me, but... Um, I've played you, Patrick, and I've seen you just never draw anything off of pat- <laughs> no. attack pattern Delta. I mean, <laughs> absolutely, you get two of them out, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to draw one. It's like, fail. And then the next turn you draw a new hand, you're like, all right, I got one unit, and then you draw a second one. It's like, fail. Yep. So I've never seen you actually pull two units with two attack pattern Deltas. Yeah, so. it sucks. <laughs> well, you know, I, I won two regionals with uh, with Rebels and with Speeders, so I don't... I'm in the same boat with Nick here. I've had a lot of success with it where others have not. I don't think, though, Nick, that you're going to see two players with a Hoth deck. You're going to see one that's got a that's got a very dedicated Hoth deck and then someone else that's playing something that that are all of the other objective sets that you want to see when you're playing Hoth that make them even better. And maybe that's what you meant by, by a more supportive role. But you could play a, a Jedi defense, an aggressive aggressive hoth deck that i think you'd find a lot of synergistic relationships with with the amount of protect that it can do because there are quite a few hoth things that are also dependent on things being undamaged mm-hmm. i mean can you imagine um how fantastic a hero's resolve is 
if your opponent can pass you something from knowledge and defense, like say uh, Yoda's protection, um, which which basically gives your gives your objective shielding. I mean, there there are, there are a lot of things that you're going to see, I think, in multiplayer that you would never see anywhere else because no one wants to play a fifth, uh, twelve or thirteen objective or even more objective set deck in one v one. Oh, I, I I totally agree. I mean, one of the the decks I really like, uh, or Patrick knows this too, is I love the Daughters of uh, Alia card because when you commit them to the force, you're healing a damage off your light side objective. So I can just imagine how intense that's going to be when a two v two situation. You're you're going to you know pass this card and it's oh all that damage done on anything that requires to be undamaged for your objectives is now healed. And uh, I and just to reference, you know, the supportive role. I think anything with a Battle of Hoth in it is going to be really important. So you play that fate card, you're taking damage from somewhere else, or or just sneaking that damage in against a, a more diverse Hoth, the dark side deck. So I think that'll be interesting. Yeah, um, that's also kind of an, an interesting point to mention. Also, in one versus one, I think that we're going to see light side really change up to. They're going to be more damage removal than actual control. I think that's how they're going to kind of fit that control role because i mean we do have a lot of cards that do damage removal but it, the the trick is right now is getting them on onto the field and letting them stay on long enough to actually be have some sort of effect obviously we have a couple objectives it's like you know don't target anything before you target a yavin 4 objective or something so i we, you know we got the moisture farmers that have one hp and you know like die instantly to everything the dark side has so uh, I think that Fantasy Fight is starting to really kind of experiment with how the light side wants to actually play as a control deck rather than um, as what the dark side is, is controlling, which is tactics. And, hey, I have all these really, really good cards. You can't do crap about it. Uh, Matt, did you have any other comments um, in our discussion that we've had so far? Um, I don't think I have anything new to that. The Those are both... Some great objective sets. Um, they're, once again, objective sets I always look at in 1v1 games. And, like, if only I could find room. Uh, <laughs> knowledge and defense in particular, I, almost every Jedi deck I'm building, I'm looking, it's like, how can I fit this in? How can I fit this in? Mm-hmm. And the surprises it could let you pull off in the two-player game. And having 20 objective sets to play with across the two decks instead of 10 all of a sudden those sets that were close but not quite there or you know that 11th set that you always cringe really hard when you take it out and put it back in the binder right now you can now you get them and all of the possibilities and combos that opens up no i would definitely definitely agree um, Adam, what can you tell us a little about the challenge decks? I know that you wanted to tell a cool story about um, your uh, experience uh, with them. So why don't you go ahead and uh, take it away with that story? Sure, thanks. So as you all know, when the, when the schedule came out for the World Championship event weekend, a lot of buzz went out about the fact that they were going to be showing these challenge decks. Mm-hmm. So there were so many people that postulated that we were going to be either getting balance of the force before the event or it would be given out as as a as a prize during the course of the of the weekend but what ended up happening instead 
was they had uh, they just had the challenge tables. So none of the one per objective deck sets were displayed at all, but j rather just the challenge decks, which uh, are designed, of course, for one player to take on two or three opponents at the same time. Right. Uh, unfortunately, the day that they were supposed to have people there to play, only one of the two employees made it. Oh. And he had to leave early, and so he only did three, uh, only did three games before he had to leave. And it just so happened that I had I had got in and played the third game on the day, and I managed to convince the lead TO for the in the event center to allow me to continue the the names that were had been signed up, so we could at least make it through the day. And uh, they allowed me to do that. Awesome. Which, which, of course, I had to turn the decks in at the end of the day. Aww. <laughs> well, the next day, after after they announced that they were going to do a cut for the multiplayer event, and I didn't have an I didn't have a teammate to play, so I just I picked up um, just a random player that was there, also looking for an opponent. That does not work out too well, by the way. I would definitely <laughs> suggest that you have a little bit more coordination than just hey, you need a player, you need a partner, let's play. Um, so I offered again to run the challenge tables and had even more people sign up when they when they saw that they were up and running again. And so I did I did it on that second day. Well then a third the third day rolled around and I asked if I could run the challenge tables yet again a third day and they allowed me to basically play them all day long until I went to hop on the plane mm -hmm. at which point they said well you can take the challenge decks with you. That's awesome. So I actually have the only, as far as I am aware one of the only physical copies that uh, that are available to non-FFG employees, if not the only set. That's pretty. And so, and so that was for people who were wondering how we were going to have this balance of the force multiplayer event in Colorado yesterday. It's because I actually have the challenge decks in my possession. Very cool. So, uh, so it, it was a really neat. It's a really neat story. I was really thankful that they let me bring them back with me and uh, show them off at my local store. I actually was able to convince a couple of people who are pretty heavy Netrunner players mm -hmm. to get interested in the game because I had some of these amazingly powerful cards that I could show them that were going to be available for people to play, even if it was in a constricted uh, and very uh, reconstructed environment. Right, right. Okay, so um, the, uh, the challenge decks themselves are obviously completely different than 2 versus 2 or 1 versus 1. Um, why don't you, uh, if you could explain what is actually in the decks, like obviously not every card, but um, as far as what is allowed to be played versus the challenge decks and what type of objective sets you can actually throw in. Sure. So so for the dark side, it's very simple. The dark deck that, that you pull out of the box is, the, is what you play. There is no interchanging of cards at all. Okay. It's uh, 59 cards total, and uh, the point, of course, for the dark side is to build the second Death Star. Oh. You know, the, you, we, we could spend some story about it, and but for the sake of time, we'll, we'll forego that. Uh, along the way, however, you have to pay for this Death Star, which costs 22 resources wow. to put into play. Um, however, it becomes easier every turn because the Death Star gets one resource uh, cheaper to deploy mm -hmm. every tick of the Death Star dial. So controlling the force for the for the dark side player is very important. 
But what you have to balance that with is the fact that you have to, you still have to be able to pay for this and you have to keep units on play because you are a single player drawing your single hand against two players who might have some pretty fantastic units. And so, uh, so to help you along the way, there are seven objectives that, uh, that are intermingled into the constructed deck. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that, 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 that you can actually put into play. And uh, then there are, of course, you, y'all have already seen them, the Across the Sanctuary pipeline that basically makes each of your, each of your objectives elite, mm-hmm. which is good because the seven, the seven objectives that are peppered into your command deck, they, uh, they all generate two. Oh, wow, that's really cool. So, and, and, and if I could, this, this might be a good, a good, uh, a good place to throw a spoiler out Yeah, there. go ahead, buddy. Go ahead. So, um, like I said, 22, a pretty hefty cost for, uh, for the Death Star to bring into play. However, you're not just reliant upon the, any enhancements and objectives that you have. Mm-hmm. There are some pretty powerful events as well. And the first one that I wanted to spoil was uh, a zero cost, two force icon event entitled We Shall Double Our Efforts. And it says the following. It says interrupt. When a card generates one or more resources, it generates one additional resource for each focus token placed on it. So now for for no additional cost, your uh, your two your two resource generator now can generate four. Wow. It's it's, it's not unique. So uh, there's more than one copy in the deck. I won't I won't tell you how many there are in the deck. You'll have to wait and f- find that out yourself. But uh, but having one or more of these in your hand, the turn that you want to deploy the you want to deploy the Death Star, uh, the sorry the second Death Star is uh, is pretty powerful. So uh, question for that: uh, Does that mean that two additional resource tokens will be placed on that objective? Or no, it doesn't. Okay, it just it just generates an additional resource for each focus token placed on it. So you get one you get two resources for every for the focus tokens you place on it. So. If we go by logical FFG standards, there's 16 of these in a deck, and <laughs> if you hold all 16, you instantly win, right, Adam? Um, <laughs> y- y- no, because you still have to have <laughs> objectives to use, right? Right, so, right, right. Uh, I will tell you that in all of the games that I've been able to successfully win with the Dark Side Challenge deck, I've had no fewer than four of the seven uh Jared Gerard's task objectives in play. Okay. Um and that generally that, that you can only play one per turn. So that generally means about a fourth turn uh a fourth turn flip of the of the second death star in the play. Okay, interesting, interesting. Now um I've heard some rumors that there is some really interesting shuffle mechanics in both of the uh both of the decks. But since we're t- talking about the uh the dark side one, um why don't you go ahead and explain to us um how this event card actually works. Um, the, the, we shall double our efforts or the second one. Okay. So I, I see where you're going with it. Okay. So the, so the second spoiler and, and I hate to break it, but it's really, I, I, I gave you the text for both this and the light side version that does exactly the same thing. Yep. It's pretty fantastic. It's a one cost event that has two force icons called entitled signal jam that says the following interrupt when an action reaction or interrupt is initiated, cancel its effect. Wow. Then you and one resource to shuffle this card into your deck. So uh, you don't like the fact that uh, you don't like the fact that you've got your your uh, your elite shielding 
edge one dependent unit that's going to be excluded from a battle with Han or with uh, Lando Calrissian? I don't think so. This this can take care of that for you after they've initiated that effect. So um, this basically uh, like this really negates all the light side cards that can do something uh, that's really really useful. You know, like, like Lando's effect, Han's effect, Luke's effect. Uh, the, the Millennium, uh, the Millennium Falcons, Falcons effect, like that's a huge <laughs> downsider right there. It's like, oh, you want to swap that out? Nah, I'm sorry. That's not going to be – oh, and by the way, I'm going to spend a resource to put it back into my deck. Also, exactly. also uh, this is one of the first um, shuffling a card back into your deck cards that we have in the game. Um, Han Solo, uh, the Rebel Han Solo was the first searcher deck card. This is the uh, – this and the, uh, the Rebel version, which is Run Luke Run, which is very appropriate I might add. Uh, is is the um, pretty much first card that we have to shuffle a card back into your deck rather than put it you know on the bottom of your deck or something stupid like that. So mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm really excited to see some of these in single player. I know that this is just a challenge deck only card, obviously because a lot of these cards are blatantly overpowered in single player. But um, as as far as the 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 deck goes, have you found that dark side? has a little bit of trouble um, facing the light side when they're playing the challenge deck? Absolutely. Uh, Y'all will probably see me somewhere saying this uh, officially, but uh, and I think that there will be others that might even disagree with me, but if I were going to rank the difficulty between light and dark and between two and three opponents Mm -hmm. for the challenge deck player, I would rank it such. uh, Two light side players versus, versus the challenge a correction two dark side players versus the light side challenge deck is by far the easiest for the light side player to, for the challenge deck player to win the second is 3v1 for the light side then 2v1 for the dark side and 3v1 for the dark side unfortunately the decks aren't really scaled very well mm-hmm. between two and three players okay. the light side deck is scaled better than the dark side deck in fact um I did a quick look before we started talking, and the only card that scales for the dark side, unfortunately, is the uh, are the Jerjerod's task, the objectives that are that are peppered in your command deck, hmm. and uh, they get they get two more they have two more health or two more damage capacity uh, if you have three players, and that's really the only one. There are more for the light side than that. Okay. So uh, so I I think that. The light side deck is way easier to win as a challenge as the challenge deck player than the dark side, but I will tell y'all guys there is nothing more satisfying than seeing that second Death Star come into play and have them look at a 22 health striker that has four black blasts that says anytime it focuses oh that also is elite and has shielding <laughs> and says and says. Um, whenever this unit focuses to strike, um, your each opponent has to destroy a unit or an objective. Oh my goodness! So you really don't so, want the Death Star to get out there. You do not want the Death Star to make it out there. And then, of course, there are some other cards that will help you along the way. But I don't want to spoil. Right, everything. right, of course. Okay, so as far as the winning determining factors of each side, what are they? All right. So for the. For the light side playing against the dark side challenge deck, mm-hmm. uh, some of the cards we've already discussed, things that, like the home one, is devastating against against trying to construct the second Death Star. 
because you're going to have some, like I said, somewhere between three and seven or eight objectives on the table at the same time that mm. can all be damaged as soon as the home one focus is to strike. And so that's it's really important for the for the light side if they're trying to beat the challenge deck, the dark side challenge deck, mm. that they have the ability to do a, a lot of damage all at once because uh, because that's that's how they're going to win. And uh, as soon as the dark side player doesn't have any objectives on the table, then the light side wins. Okay, okay. So so it's basically wipe the dark side objectives off the table as it's it's basically just an extended version of how one versus one works then for for exactly. the light side. Exactly. Now, and the dark, the dark side can't lose if they get decked. They just continue to play until there are no objectives on the table. Okay, so can the light side use any objectives that they want in their deck or is that also a predetermined factor? Nope they they can play whatever they would like. The light side. Are we talking about the light side? Uh, light side playing against the dark side challenge deck. Correct, sir. Yeah. Then there there are no restrictions for what can be included. However, you cannot change the win condition. Okay. I.e., you can't play. Uh, unfortunately, you can't play trench run okay. and and take ten up against it and end the game. So basically, that card is still useless. <laughs> that card is well. There's an entire another web uh, podcast you could probably have on whether or not Trench Run is viable in 2v2. I think that I would disagree with most people and say that it's actually a very viable strategy. Interesting. Especially in a, especially in a tournament environment where you're, where you're being timed. But like I said, there's probably an entire another discussion. Probably, that you should probably. Okay. So, um, is, is, so basically um, you found that the dark side has just a really hard time kind of defending against two versus uh, two players – or three players, and then the light side has a hard time versing two or three players. So it sounds... Well, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so the difference, and I think that part of the reason why it's easier for the uh, for the light side challenge deck player is the number of objectives that can be engaged in, in one turn. Okay. So for the dark side player, there is... The limit is the number of objectives that are on the table when you're playing, when you're playing against the dark side challenge deck. Mm -hmm. for the, against the light side challenge deck... The objectives are you start with all well, you start with nine objectives on the table, My. but um, but but the only objectives that can be accessed are the ones that are in the front of the line. So if you can imagine a period with two a pyramid with two, three, and four objectives respectively, okay. then um, then you can only attack the, the the front two that you can that you can see. If you were to take out one of the two of those. Now instead of having access to two, now you have access to three, and it's explained in the rule book. Okay. But there's there's no point at which the dark side can target all of your objectives in one turn. Huh. Interesting. So it definitely favors the light side in that regard. Okay. Uh, Matt and Nick, I'm going to open up the floor to you guys. Um, we've been kind of discussing what the challenge decks are, but uh, what questions do you guys have for Adam? Uh, Nick, go ahead. Uh, just before you go, Adam, you know, we talked a lot about uh, decks or objective sets that have really increased in value or exceeded their already ridiculous value. Uh, did you see anything in your experience, uh, whether it be 2v2 or with the challenge decks, where an objective set just now makes no sense and it's it's not really viable? Yeah, uh, I haven't seen any that are not really viable. I've conversely seen cards or uh, entire objective sets that now can see play. Um, the closest thing that I can think of, and I actually thought about this while we were talking, is that there are units that are really, really good in uh, in single player. 
that now don't have nearly as much punch for their cost. And one of them, and I know people are going to disagree with me when I say this, but Emperor Palpatine is one of those units, right? It's a fantastic card for the dark side when it hits the table in 1v1 mm-hmm. because I only have to deal with what you can play vice what I can play. In 2v2, when I have two different opponents that now can play cards, that now can play a Rebel Assault, that now can play Lightsaber Deflection, that now can play Let the Wookiee Win, now that Emperor Palpatine is a lot more fragile. So I think that there are some that have diminished slightly, but no objective sets uh, writ large. Excellent. That's, I mean, I think that's interesting to hear because, you know, we always talk about how, you know, it's the Vader-Palpatine combo and, and whatnot. So I think it'll be really interesting to see the diversity that's going to be built in with the, the different ways the game is changing. And I know uh, Patrick's excited and I know Matt's excited and I'm also excited. And I'm sure you are, Adam, about the next uh, force pack cycle with Kyle Katarn and, and Mara Jade and all those things that are coming through uh, down the pipeline. So looks interesting. Matt, questions? Yeah, I just wanted to um, go back to the challenge decks because we got a little distracted. How do the challenge decks win? So the challenge deck for the uh, for the dark side wins when they capture each player's affiliation card, and the dark side captures their affiliation card when they destroy one of their objectives. And so coupling the Death Star, like I said, that has four black blast damage with any other unit that can deal damage that can't be eliminated the same turn that it strikes means that you're going to eliminate a player. So that's how the dark side wins. The light side player wins by decking each of their opponents. And so most of the most of the heavy strikers in the light side deck are designed to make you top deck your opponent. And just as a as an idea, we figured out <clears throat> while we were at the World Championship weekend how to make each opponent uh, top deck 31 cards in one turn. Whoa! And I I personally have done 21 of 31 in one turn on multiple occasions. So is there a hand limit then? Like a hand size limit? Or is it just you just draw cards? Well, let me uh, let me give you an example. And this is not one that I sent a spoiler that I sent y'all, but I'll uh, let, let me get the card real quick. And uh, and I will I will read it for you. It might have even been spoiled already. It's red five. All right. So, th- what Red Five? Let, let me let me find him real quick because I think that this will demonstrate the point very easily. Thirty Red Five cards. That's it's a, it's a, wow. It's a Luke's. It's Luke's starship, right? Right. So it's unique. It costs four and has four defense with three force icons, and it says the following: After this unit damages an enemy objective, discard the top X cards of each opponent's deck, where X is the amount of damage just dealt. And it has two black objective blast and two white objective blast icons. Okay. Of course. So um, that is a demonstration of really how the light side is going to win. Wow. Because that's that's four cards from each opponent every time it strikes if it wins the edge. Yeah. So um, that actually brings up a really good point. Um, what is the edge battles like in the uh, the challenge decks? Does light side finally have a uh, a chance to actually win edge? Well, the light side has a chance to win edge, but for a, a reason that you may not have thought about yet, and that is the fact that the light side challenge deck, in addition to having the challenge deck itself, gets to use two objective decks worth of command cards. Oh. From outside the deck, 
that every time one of their objectives is flipped from the uh, from the nondescript side to the descript useful side, mm -hmm. you get to take a card from one of the from outside the game from this this sub command deck, and uh, and place it underneath of one of your objectives that can then be used to play just as if it's in your hand. So it's possible for the dark for the light side challenge deck player to have three or four or even five cards underneath of objectives mm -hmm. and an entire hand of between between six and nine depending on on uh, on certain on cards that are in play wow. so it's possible to have like a 15 card hand so yeah the light side is going to win a lot more edge battles uh in the challenge format than they than they would otherwise that's crazy I i'm looking forward uh, hopefully hopefully we see this all friday um all right so uh, i know uh, adam has to go here shortly so um, before you go, uh, Nick or Matt, any other questions pertaining to two versus two, the challenge decks, or just anything in general? I've got a question for you, Adam. I always ask this about anyone who plays. Uh, what's your favorite objective set and uh, why? Favorite objective set and why? It's actually I've actually already talked about it. It's got to be uh, sabotage in the snow <laughs> uh, for the dark side because it's the only objective set that has two resource enhancements, though they cost. It's a two for one. It affects so many units, especially for the Navy player, and I'm a Navy player. Yeah. Uh, for the light side, the best objective set, and I know people disagree with me, is Defensive Yavin 4. It has Rebel Assault. It has Red 2, which I've single-handedly seen take out three objectives in one turn. Mm -hmm. And it has a resource enhancement, and it has a Y-Wing, which I know people disagree with me here. I know that they do, but the Y-Wing is a very underrated striking unit. Oh, I, I so, definitely agree with that. And, and of course, the objective, you never, ever, ever are sad to see defensive Yavin 4 on the table if you're the light side player, unless you see two of them. Right. So So I take it you're more of an aggressive player then? Um, I, I prefer that. But again, and we can talk offline about this, I think that, that Navy is kind of changing the way that it plays, where it doesn't have to play aggressive at all at, um, all the time. Mm -hmm. It can sit back and defend and then be aggressive when it needs to. Right. Uh, for the light side, absolutely aggressive all the way. Um, I would much rather see myself striking with three or four units every single turn than uh, than striking with the one that can then be force lightning by uh, by Emperor <laughs> Yeah, that's always depressing. Matt, any questions uh, for Adam before we let him go? I don't have any more questions. Just want to thank Adam for um, coming and talking to us. Uh, we appreciate your insight into this multiplayer stuff that the multiverse yes <laughs> and oh well, i'm sorry your event um got snowed out that's what you get for living out in the snowy land of colorado though <laughs> it looks like indiana got hit hard too so being back there wouldn't have helped you <laughs> that's true i'm still waiting for the snow to hit ohio like that's the only reason i live here is because i would like snow <laughs> You you live in Toledo. How do you not have snow? Because Don't you get like lake effect or something. Yeah, unfortunately, Ohio weather is stupid, and it's it was like sixty degrees here like two weeks ago. So, yeah, we're just done. But Adam, uh, thank you very much for your time and insight. Like Matt said, um, we will have you on the show um, probably uh, within the next couple months, talking about the new four cycle and everything. And, Certainly, um, I look forward to playing you. Probably, I'm not sure if you play an octagon or not, but um, I know that all three of us are normally on there pretty regularly. So if we see you, we'll, we'll definitely hit you up. Um, any self-promotion, self-plugs, or things you want to uh, give shout-outs to, go ahead and do that now. Right. One real quick thing. Uh, Shout-out, obviously, to all the Colorado players. 
Um, if you're ever interested in seeing what the Colorado players are up to, we have a Yahoo group, the Colorado LCG League. We support all of, all of the LCGs, but uh, we really I, I focus a lot on Star Wars. Um, the last thing I want to I want to plug for is uh, is just you know tell people about the game. Obviously, we love this game, and if anyone ever wants to play multiplayer online, I can show you how to play it on Octagon. So, wow, cool. Very nice. Well, all right, Adam, um, feel free to head on out, and we will uh, very much thank you for your time and energy into the show. All righty, so now that Adam is uh, left the virtual studio, we're going to go into some deck talking here. And uh, the decks that we want to go over a little bit and kind of a little bit more in depth here is the uh, going to be the tri-colored Sith Control deck as well as the uh, Hobo Table deck which was uh, developed by Lethal Hobo, uh, who kind of came up with the original idea for the deck. And um, me and Matt kind of took it and pretty much cut it up and made our own little variant of it, as well as a uh, Jedi deck that um, kind of was inspired technically from Nick and his 11-set objective deck. And then uh, Lethal Hobo played a little bit different variation of it. We tried it out a little bit, and then we said, let's do something completely different. And uh, it's been going pretty well so far. So um, the the tricolor deck basically is just what you would think it would be like in Magic or some other game that has multiple factions where you need some sort of uh, resource matching to play them. Um, it is going to be two Vader, two Palpatine, two Bosk, two Council of the Sith, and I'm missing one. Defense Protocol. Defense Protocol, thank you. And the um, affiliation is going to be Navy because... Tytac Squadron is much more important to get out there than Bosk is, and Bosk set is the only affiliation match that you need is Bosk himself. All the other ones are either going to be the Capture, which doesn't cost anything, or the uh, Trandoshan Hunters, which are neutral. And this basically gives you a ton of two-cost units to verse that annoying sleuth deck, verse those annoying speeders, and just pump out units as fast as possible. Obviously, we have uh, two cost units that are going to be the Advisor of the Emperor, which is a tactics icon, Quat Security Team, which is just unit damage to HP, Dark Side Apprentice, uh, unit damage to HP. So this deck just has a ton of units. I think we did the math; it had what, like what, twenty-two two cost units or something, Matt, G- give or take. I don't think it's quite that many, but it's a lot. Yeah, especially when you include the um, two Tie Fighters, which are one cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, TIE Fighters are so underrated. Like, people are like, ah, oh, TIE Fighters, sure, you can attack. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to Talon Roll and then use Death from Above and kill that objective. Thanks. <laughs> I love doing that. I, I still think TIE Fighters are great. I mean, if you watched uh, Team Covenant's coverage of the World uh, Championships, I mean, that TIE Attack Squadron and Talon Roll was, you know, played throughout, I think, both games Yeah. Uh, for the, the, the winning game. Well, I mean, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, not only that, I mean, it could be a surprise defender. It's like, oh, you don't have any defense? Yep, nope, Talon Roll, I'm going to defend Luke. And he's like, oh, okay, then, that sucks. Yeah, my buddy John's got a hyper-aggressive Navy deck that's all TIE Fighters. I mean, he even spliced in uh, the Black Squadron, which I, I never see get played. You know, in all, and... in all honesty, Nick, not to interrupt, but I think that that's one of the most powerful objectives still in the Dark Side Arsenal that just is not used because of the cards in there. Oh yeah, I mean that's the whole reason the objective set I think is is such an interesting concept because you do have to balance great cards with mm-hmm. you know cards you necessarily don't want to play 
And and I think that's what makes a great player is people who can leverage terrible cards into great situations. You know, it's it's making that great play out of a hand of five totally absolutely useless cards. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, like the card like I'm on the leader placed a focus token on an enemy fighter unit. Well, okay, so Sleuth and Block Blockade are pretty much shut down for a turn. Cool, thanks. Except neither of those are fighters. They're not? Yep, I was just going to say that, Matt. I was going to say those are fighters. Seriously, they're not fighters? Nope. They're they're transports for the sleuths and I think maybe just capital ship on the blockade runner. I don't remember if it's transport as well, but neither of them are fighters. It, it As soon as the sleuths hit streets, I'm like, all right, finally a use for that. And I no. swore that sleuths were fighter units, but okay. No, yeah, you know what? Now I'm looking at the other transports. That's silly. Ah, well. It's still a good card, though. Ah, whatever. Anyway. Well, I will. Uh, yeah, I was just going to bring us back to the tricolor deck. Uh, you know, you bring up a good point with, uh, you know, splicing in a lot of different sets that have useful cards uh, outside of just having really good cards. And, and, and I'll point out, I've tested this uh, a few times, and I can't beat it. Um, and I've only lost with it once. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's just because it was the first time I played it, and I had no idea what was in the deck. I, I came to it cold. But Patrick and Matt, I know, have played it a ton, uh, and it's an extremely effective deck. Um, I do disagree with the inclusion of Bosk, but that's, I think, because I hate Bosk. But well, that's my I own mean, sense. honestly, most of the time, I just use him in the edge battle. There's been that a, a, occasional time where I have, his objective set out, and uh, Chew- Chewie's in the field, and I'm like, sweet, I'll play boss and capture him. That's fine with me. So, I mean, I, I think that um, the inclusion of boss isn't for boss himself. It's just for the units. I mean, that's that's four extra 2 HP units, with Sluice being such a heavy meta-defined role right now. I think that it's, it's probably one of the better decks in the dark side meta, if you were. I prefer it just because a lot of people are playing speeders and sluice. And at this point in the game, I feel that dark side is at that weird point where if you're going to run more of a standard, like heavy kind of super unit deck, you're going to get a little bit more bought out by, by the sluice because of what they can do and their effects. Um, I know that Dennis who won the worlds was only running, running one copy of Palpatine and then had two executors which is just great for combos, but I still feel like that the dark side really needs to kind of watch and really more of a kind of like a rock, paper, scissors, what the light side player or light side decks are really doing. So I feel that that this deck is probably the best kind of, I guess, neutral countering to what the light side can do and all their kind of variant possibilities. Um, Matt, since you were the original creator of this deck, what was your overall... Uh, I mean, we, we talked about this last week, but j- just kind of a refresher. What was your overall goal of this deck? Well, the goal was kill stuff. Okay. And it has unit damage, and it has heat of battle. And that's actually the reason to run um, boss pod over, say, Mahdi, right. which gives you, without having to splash another affiliation, Mahdi is excellent. I'll, I'd take Mahdi over Bosk. Mm-hmm. The Stormtroopers and the Trandoshans are virtually identical unless there's a Wookiee on the board. Um, The Trandoshans get a slight edge there. The Stormtroopers get a slight edge if you're playing other trooper things. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't find myself needing the extra resources from the duty officer. Um, The maybe removal from bounty, I call that a toss-up. 
the the real key was I would much rather have a couple more heat of battles in the deck mm -hmm. than having orbital bombardment. No, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, and yeah. especially with the tie attack squadron sitting around, you having a couple more fate cards um, mm -hmm. make it that much better. And yeah. you know, it kills people with Vader's reaction. It kills people with defense protocol, and by people I mean units. <laughs> um, it kills units with targeted strike, either if you get Vader, his lightsaber, or the TIE attack squadron. The, uh, it has force lightnings, it has force chokes. Um, it, it doesn't care at all about the sluice. It, yeah, it really it does. It sits there and says, okay, I'll block with the Trandishans or the Royal Guard, or even the TIE fighter we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in those games, Vader and Palpatine can sit in your hand until you need them to close out the game or just win an edge battle. Yep. You know. Yeah, I mean, half the time I find myself playing Vader and Palpatine in the edge battle more than I do on the field because it's like I have more than enough units to deal enough damage that I need to, like with the TIE Attack Squadron, with the um, Quad Security Team and all the other blast unit damage. I find it's like, okay, I'm going to place Palpatine and pass the next turn make the other person think it's a twist, which is normally the case, or they'll put down a couple of cards, and it's going to be really hard for a sleuth deck to get anywhere near the amount of Force Icons that Palpatine has unless they are playing uh, their... What? That deck has two Battle of, uh, battle of Hawson, if, if I recall correctly. So if they play one, cool. They only have one left, and most of the rest of the units only have one to two Icons in the first place, and they're going to be sacrificing cards to get out more units with the Secret of Yavin 4. So, for the most part, a sleuth deck is not... They don't care about winning an edge battle, but winning an edge battle as a dark side is going to benefit you so much more than it's going to benefit the sleuth deck. Mainly because all your units are going to have that one extra blast, uh, or extra unit damage enabled once you win and instantly kill anything that they're throwing at you. So, um... Like, I've been playing this deck ever since Matt was like, hey, you should try it. And I was like, yeah, it won't work. And then I'm like, holy crap, this deck is so ridiculously powerful. I think I've lost, lost once, and that was just because I misplayed and got way too aggressive. So, I mean, honestly, I I, I want to say that this deck is almost unbeatable, but obviously it's beatable if, if the light side can get some really good draws. Uh, Matt, I know that you lost to Chigio because wasn't he playing a speeder deck and he got really lucky with um, Attack Pattern Delta or something? Um, no, it wasn't even Attack Pattern Delta. I have actually yet to have an opponent get more than one unit out of that <laughs> against me. It's part of the reason I never play it. But he was playing a fairly aggressive um, Rebel Smuggler deck, and um, I didn't find my units. Okay. They're, the deck has units, I didn't find them, and it, it, it really is based around building that defensive wall mm -hmm. and shredding any attackers that come through. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I even I even force lightning a home one and a rogue three in that game, which, you know, they're, those are the big threats. So you just weren't them, finding but, anything. Yeah, um, I don't think that's a bad matchup for the deck. I've played similar decks before and are and since and mm -hmm. usually, you know, I don't need to use force lightning because things die when they attack yeah. and get shredded. 
or I just attacked back with the TIE attack squad and targeted strike them. Right. Um, and the last few times I've played it on Octagon, I've um, won on my fourth turn with three objectives destroyed. I just destroy one a turn. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I got damage done to my objectives. <laughs> I, sometimes, I, you know. Sometimes. <laughs> That's I had a guy concede on his second turn when right. he had done nothing. I had killed everything as soon as it hit the board or shortly thereafter. And before it could strike and you know he he's like well i i have nothing you have momentum you have board presence yeah and i had objective damage from the attack squadron on the board and you know the deck can really and it has what my earlier um sith control decks were missing and that's an early reliable offense um one of the weaknesses of early Sith control that led to decks like the Devastating Sith with the Devastator splashed in was they couldn't close games. They would control the board and then just have to sit there and right. hope the light side didn't get something mm -hmm. on that next turn and just wait. And um, This deck does a great job of controlling the board but also speeding up the clock by attacking as well. No, yeah, I, w I would I would definitely agree with that. I mean, uh, I know that um, I've played against this with Nick a few times, and um, I know that, uh, Nick, you had a really hard time just trying to punch through, like, any really defense that I was bringing up, mainly due to the, the Force Chokes, the Force Lightnings, plus all the other units in this deck. Um, now, I know that we were talking... Uh, just earlier about um, the win-loss ratio. And it seems like that all of us has really only lost once or twice with this deck out of the 50 or so games we've played. So, like, I want to say that it's currently probably the best dark side deck out there right now, but obviously th th there's lots of different variations of a, a Sith Control deck that will pretty much do the same thing or better uh, depending on your play style. And that obviously is going to uh, kind of bring us to our next uh, dark side deck, which is going to be the Hobo Table. Obviously, the Hobo Table, uh, like I mentioned earlier, was um, developed uh, by Lethal Hobo. I'm not sure what he actually calls it, but I call it the Hobo Table because, hey, why not? It's, it's a collab deck. Um, this deck actually runs 11 objectives, which is probably making some people go, No, oh, no, don't do it. It's heresy. But in all honesty... With the card draw mechanic that this game has and the amount of constantly putting a lot of cards into edge battles, you really don't notice a difference in all honesty. One extra objective set, five extra cards really isn't going to mean the difference between winning or losing. I think that that is a very poor misconceived notion in this game. And I, th I think the, the most you can, you can go up to is probably 11. I really wouldn't feel putting comfortable an extra, uh, an extra five extra cards in there. Uh, mainly because of the, it really, really kind of dilutes the objective pool from what you're drawing from, which I think is the more of the main contender rather than the command deck pool because obviously you draw a lot of stuff. So um, what this deck is consistent of is, let me just bring this out here. Um, what the original deck was is, I do I have it? Let me just see if I have it in my deck manager here. Just to make sure we have the original deck here first. 
Okay, so the original deck was um, one Trandoshian Terror, two Carbonite Transport, two, tat two, two Tatooine Crash, two Jabba's Reach, two Executor, one Recon Mission, and one Council of the Sith. Now, uh, me, Matt, and Nick have played this deck uh, a couple times, and we felt that the Executor really wasn't worth its weight in gold, mainly because Sith Holocron was really only being used for the Executor or maybe a free... Uh, advisor to the emperor so we we took that out and what we did was we splashed in a little bit of different variants um i uh, nick suggested taking out the executor and putting in fists which was really useful but again i felt that um the deck was suffering from it just was suffering from something really the only thing i ever wanted to see was vader's fist objectives i really didn't care for the the trooper uh, because they were not neutral, and they really kind of like I feel that they're they're good because they're a, a basically a quality security team, but they require that extra Sith resource. So if you wanted to play something different, like an advisor of the Emperor, which would be more important, and not lock advisor to play a trooper, I just I felt that that was just kind of a little bit more detrimental than it was i mean 51st legion is always great but it's a four cost unit and there's just a lot more units that need to use up that the, the resources so I, I i took that out talking to matt a lot and um we're like well let's just go with our kind of go-to with you know to take both of those out put an extra bosk in there which gives us just more heat of battles more Trandoshan hunters and then put dark side uh ghost of the dark side in there and I feel that this deck really kind of has the—it's uh, kind of really good, kind of quiche neat point right there. Um, force Wraith, obviously being very, very powerful with just kind of being able to sit back and control the force pretty much all game. It costs three, but you're, the light side isn't going to be able to kill it unless they waste a targeted strike on it, which is fine with me. I mean, there's a lot of units that they could better targeted strike. Obviously, Force Shockwave is just such a good card. I, I've won many of games with this so far. Dark Memories, obviously, is just kind of that lackluster card, like, I don't really want to see this card, which is why there's only one copy of this in the deck. But, again, it can be very useful when someone throws out a Han, and you're like, well, I'm going to put Dark Memories on that, and every time Han focuses to strike, guess what? He's taking one extra damage, so he basically kills himself in two turns, which is great. Luke kills himself in three turns. So, I mean, it, it's more of a, crap, I don't have any other way to get rid of this except for the Saboteur, which is in Lando's objective set, if I remember correctly. Um, and then, of course, the objective itself, just allowing you to not uh, not commit any units to the Force your turn one, which is going to give you an extra defense on turn two, uh, unless you want to commit a unit to the Force, which is always, uh, always going to be there. But that really kind of forces the light side player to either commit a two uh, Force Icon unit to the Force or commit two units, which generally they don't want to do unless they, they put out two one-cost units that they're just using to, to protect damage. Um, Nick, what, what has been your overall assumption on this deck so far? So you, you mentioned it earlier. You know, we, we deck-tested, and uh, I drew Sith Holocron and Executor Turn 1, yeah. and I had the opportunity to play it. Um, unfortunately, Patrick had shown me a couple cards from his hand because he doesn't know how to run Octagon ever. <laughs> You're doing it wrong, Patrick. You're I know, I'm terrible. Wrong. Uh, so long story short, I mean, even in that situation, knowing what the opponent had, 
Executor wasn't the best thing right. to do turn one. Uh, I actually threw it away in an edge battle, mm -hmm. which saved me. And, and you know, I was able to put out a ton of units the next turn. And yeah. Patrick, you had nothing. I oh, mean, no, I think no, I had, I had nothing. It was terrible. Yeah, I mean, I, I ran roughshod over you, but... <laughs> yeah. um, I don't particularly care for the executor because you're exhausting, you know, everything you have to get him out. Yeah. And uh, that Sith holocron, you know, it's very rare that you get that with the executor in that hand in a single draw. Um, you're usually holding on to one or the other for a couple turns, and and that kills me personally. Um, I hate to see a card that I picked up, you know, hand one, and you know, especially if it's a mulligan, and you're just never playing it. I mean, it's it, you're playing with four cards now. And it's almost like they have Vader's fist on the on the board. No, I I would definitely agree with that. So not to beat the deck up too hard. I mean, you guys were pretty malicious, but um, I enjoyed it. I just think Executor was the wrong choice for it. Um, that's why I suggested kind of as a knee jerk to do uh, Vader's fist. I always yeah. enjoy that uh, that objective set, um, and I really like the five hundred first troopers, uh, especially when the opponent's running a lot of Hoth objectives. Uh, you see that with um, you know. The prepare for evac, uh, any of those uh, smuggler objectives, as well as the rebel objectives, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're doing extra damage. And, and if the, the opponent's not reading the cards, you know, they're always miscalculating one last image. Exactly. And you come in and you roll over them. And I also like the uh, 501st Legion only because that's just, it kills any uh, light side opponent. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, know. I didn't win edge? Oh, that, that, that's cute. Four damage. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you get shielding on them somehow or, or anything with that, and they're just a force to be reckoned with. Well, I mean, they have 4 HP, so the only way a light side player can actually kill somebody is if Luke has two Jedi lightsabers on him. No light side unit does 4 damage, or, or unless yep. they get two heat of battles on, which is very rare in a light side deck to, to begin with. So I would definitely agree that I'm not knocking uh, Vader's Fist at all. I think it's a wonderful objective set. I just, I, Me personally, I didn't think it belonged in the uh, the deck that we're talking about currently. Yep. So, um, Matt, thoughts and comments on this deck so far? I still look at it every time and think, does it need that 11th set, honestly? Okay. Um, there's... Uh, it, it works with 11, but is it better with 10? And I'm still torn on that one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's... I, I really think that players will pretty much debate till the end of time whether 10 or 11 is going to be, you know, the, the, the sweet spot. Obviously, 10 is going to be the sweet spot for most players because that, that's what they've been taught. That's what they've been playing. Um, but in all honesty, I've been playing this deck for a week and a half now. I really haven't felt like, oh, man, if I didn't have those five cards in the deck, I could have drawn something different. It's always been down to, well, he just outplayed me. Or, man, I really messed up. I got too aggressive, which has happened to me multiple times in this deck because you really got to know when to be aggressive. Um, so I really feel that having 11 sets in a certain deck, not all decks. It doesn't work with every, every deck built out there, obviously. But I really feel that certain decks, and as the meta progresses, we're going to see decks with 11 objective sets, mainly because of, again, the way the card draw system is. Um, so, okay, so taking out probably Ghost, I, excuse me, I assume Matt, um, what, what is your overall thought on the deck? Uh, just, just taking out Ghost and... and I, I, actually, I think I'd leave Ghost in and take out either one of the... Um, we still have two copies of Slave 1 in this version, right? Yes, sir. 
Yeah, I'd probably take out a copy of Slave One, if anything, from it. Okay. Um, but, you know, I I actually haven't played quite as much with it yet. Um, I also I've know it's, it's not your playstyle too, so... Yeah, I've played against it. I really, you know, I play better when I'm playing Control, mm-hmm. and it's not quite as controlling, and you know, I don't do as well with it right. as I do with other decks. Um, as I've mentioned on forums before, know how you play and play the decks that fit how you play better. You know, th- you're always going to have the person who says, well, I can play every deck. And that's good. I, you know, I can play aggressive decks, mm-hmm. but it doesn't come naturally to me. And right. I know it does. And I stick with that because I play it ever so slightly better. And that turns into wins on occasion. Right, right. That would otherwise have been losses. Well, um, you know, I, so this, yeah, no, not my deck. It's, it's doing well for you. Um, I, I, I look through the deck list and I can see where the wins come from. But when I try it, things just don't line up and maybe I need to try it a few more times. Well, you know, you actually make a really good point, Matt. Um, playing your style of play in a card game is very important. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, Sleuth is the best deck, but if it's not your play style, don't play it. Like, me personally, I'm a lot like Zach, who is uh, from Team... Who, uh, wow, words, can't actually leap brain. Um, Zach, who was one of our guests uh, last week, said he doesn't like Sleuths. He doesn't like how they play, which I'm the same way. I, I completely agree with how the the play styles are just completely different. I mean, he likes playing those kind of odd decks that just... No one's like, oh, that, that would never work. And he's like, well, it just did, so in your face. So, I mean, I think that having the the ability to think outside of the metaphorical meta box is very, very important in this game because I feel for the last year, a lot of us and a lot of players have really just been pigeonholed into, well, what's the best deck? You know, everyone should run this. And that's not the case. I mean, me and uh, this actually started from with me and Matt going, you know, we're really sick of playing sleuths. We're really sick of playing uh, this standard Sith control crap because it's boring. Everyone plays it. Let's break the mold. And Matt was like, hey, cool. Look at this tri-faction deck. It works. YOLO. And I was very, very impressed with, with how that went. And so um, at, we went as far as trying to make a tri-color light side deck, and that didn't work at all. So we're like, we're going to scrap that idea. I won one game with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 great and when you get the setup. It's just like, oh my gosh, look at all this cool stuff you could do. But then if you don't, you're just like, so I'm going to do nothing this turn because I can't play anything. So, yeah, okay. So, I mean, I, I really think that playing your style of deck really is important, which is one of the things I like about this deck because I, I consider myself more of a control player when I'm on the defensive but when I'm on the offensive, I like to be at that middle ground. I like to be able to control the battlefield, but still still do damage, which I think is part of the reason I like playing assassin characters in MMOs, because you can do that. So this deck obviously offers a lot of control with the Jawas, with Jabba, with even uh, Tractor Beam. This is something that I have found to just be just such an amazing card, especially versus the, the Sleuth and the Rebel decks, because... Say Slave 1's out on the field, well, or uh, even Jabba's Pleasure Barge, it costs, Jabba's Pleasure Barge costs 3, Sluice costs 2. So you can use Tractor Beam to remove a focus token from that vehicle, 
and put it on a sleuth scout, double focusing it, and it's basically a trust your feelings for vehicles, um, and which is where or talent roll, but it costs it costs two. But I mean, the 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 kind of trade off is you can use it for edge battles because it's it has three force icons, which is just really really good. Um, uh, which is another reason, Matt, I still would prefer having two copies of Slave 1 in here. I still think Slave 1 is a very, very powerful card. It's even more powerful if you have Capture, which has a lot of... which is very, very doable with the Bounty and with the Utini as well as the ta uh, Tattooing Crash in there. So I think that this deck is more of a middle ground player deck rather than your style, which is just all-out control. Um, Nick, what type of decks do you normally like to play? Uh, decks I like to play, and, and I think uh, I'm going to take credit for the 11 uh, objective set meta. Um, <laughs> I'm still rooting for the mono Jedi deck with Luke and Yoda right. and Obi-Wan. Um, I really like to put a lot of enhancements on characters. Uh, that's sort of the deck I play. I know it's not really a, an aggressive or control, but um, I really like to do a lot of unexpected things. It's, you know, oh, you have one character out. They're not that powerful. I don't feel threatened. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm playing four cards out of my hand that costs nothing. <laughs> and now Luke is just invincible. He's shielded. He's, you know, got nine he's got HP extra... and like 16 attack. And you're just like, yeah, what's up? Yeah. yeah, I think Old Ben Spear is probably one of the best cards in my opinion. Uh, only because if you put two of them on, it's just he's never going to die. Force Lightning doesn't work, and it's just outrageous. I remember when that objective set first came out, I was running Yoda, and I put four Old Ben Spirits on there, and to trust your feelings, and Yoda was just like, so what are you going to do about it? <laughs> I mean, he just kind of went around just killing everything. So, <laughs> I mean, you're more of the kind of like power player that really likes to sit back and boost all of his cards and then just go, all right, I'm going to punch you in the face now. So what are you going to do about it? I, I, I think that um, the – okay, well, so actually, um, before we get into to the uh, the light side deck, uh, we know that Matt isn't really a, f uh, a fan of 11 sets. Um, Nick, how do you think that 11 sets will affect the the deck building and going on into the, the fourth cycle this year? Uh, I think going into the force cycle, you're going to see 11 sets really being boosted. I, I, I know that there's a focus on uh, force battles, and mm -hmm. you know it seems like with the way Dark Side works, uh, Dark Side will you know put a unit out and commit them to the Dark Side, um, you know first turn, and that's just like your basic opening, just right. like you, you would in chess. And I, I'm kind of really sick of seeing that, only because it seems like unless you have a deck that's that's geared towards taking the force back, or you know you have a, a really strong need to do that. Uh, like if you're playing like the Godel Outcast or something like that, uh, there's no real. I don't see a focus on the light side. So in terms of a, uh, an 11 objective set meta, I think you'll see objectives that take the force early for the light side, or or reverse or flip the table. Uh, no pun intended on the dark side uh, player for their control of the force. Uh, that's going to be that 11th objective set you're going to put in, mm -hmm. or, or you're going to take out something and, and put in an 11, uh, 11th set. That focuses on the fate cards that give you the ability to to be more versatile, right? Uh, and 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 get away from a, a single style of playing. You know, uh, the thing I hate is you know you play sleuths. It's it's all about getting those sleuths out and keeping them out as quickly as possible. Right, you know, right. getting them out quickly, keeping them out, and getting them in under the radar again. You know, against a player who doesn't have any two cost units, mm -hmm. or you have Sith control. It's you know get Palpatine out, get those units with the. Uh, uh, tactics icons, uh, and and I guess that that goes towards more of my play style. Is I hate being uh, 
uh, forced to conform to one style. Right. I, I really like to switch it up. So uh, I guess that I, I like to be well-rounded, I guess, is the way I play. No, I mean, uh, and I think that as the fourth cycle finally starts moving forward, I mean, it's obviously probably going to take a couple months before we even see any really big changes to how the light side works and how the dark side works. Obviously, with the stuff that's been spoiled, yeah, it's probably going to focus around who has the force and, you know, the cards that, you know, remove people from the force and then they can kill everything that's not committed to the force and that kind of stuff, which is just huge. So I think that uh, what you said, Nick, is going to be probably very true. But again, we said that about Edge of Darkness and how, like, oh, it's going to change how scum work and how the light side plays and all this fun stuff. And, you know, it really changed how light side plays a little bit. Uh, character decks still aren't as uh, powerful, I think, as the dark side equivalents are, mainly because of how uh, ridiculously Force Choke plus Vader or Vader plus events are uh, with the, the current cards that we have in play. But obviously it gave us the Sleuth Scouts, which really kind of were like, oh, cool, you have Palpatine on the field? That's nice. I'm going to send two Sleuth Scouts out to one objective. That's that's cool. Or you know, it's just it's it's something that... I think that we can talk about, but we're really just going to have to see what it's actually going to imply and how it's going to actually affect the way the light side actually works. Because, like, as I said at the beginning of the year, I really think that the light side is going to focus on more of kind of weird tricks rather than actual, like, just all-out damage as far as the Jedi are concerned. Because... You know the the Jedi, as far as lore goes, they're not they're not like oh I'm just gonna go out swinging blah blah blah. They use their head and they're very very smart and they trick people and that kind of stuff. I mean, that's what they do. They're very tactical. So with this new cycle, I think that we are going to see a lot of that. Um, Matt, do you do you think that we're going to see any changes and in, into uh, how the light side plays or do you think that we are going to still see ten objective sets just kind of become the norm? Well, I do want to get one quick downside of 11 objective sets, and that is the nice fancy art sleeves come in sets of 50. Yeah, but that doesn't bother me. You always need new sleeves anyway, so who cares? <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it, it's just having to buy an extra 45 sleeves. So at least it gives you a backup when one splits. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Not a big downside, but just wanted to point that out. It's it's a little of a deterrent. If I wanted to build a 11 objective set deck right now in person, not on Octagon, I would have to go buy new sleeves or go steal sleeves from one of my magic decks that have 60. Matt, your your cards aren't all sleeved in one single uniform uh, sleeve set? No, no. I have um, a different sleeve for each of the six decks I have built. Wow. Uh, That's insane. And I have all of my objectives are in the same sleeve between the decks. Oh. But see, see, it kind of helps me keep track of where decks start and end because I just have them in um, a long box. Yeah. Um, if I can see that. Played, yeah, for anyone who played the old Star Wars CCG, I have them all in the like third anthology box. <laughs> and then I have a little. Um, it was actually like a bead organizer or something from Walmart that I have all the tokens in That's that nice. just sits at the end. 
and it's just effectively stacking petri dishes nice that works that works i mean all, all my all my uh light side cards are pink and my objectives are white and then all my dark sides are in black sleeve with uh, yellow objectives so there you go so i mean you know I, like i had one guy um i i know this one guy who has jedi are going to be brown smugglers are yellow rebels are red and his deck was all different color sleeves. And I'm like, you can't do that in a tournament. They're going to be like, so why is that red? Because it's a rebel card? Yeah, you can't do that. So That, that seems kind of like card marking to me. I, I'm not Technically it is, but he wasn't a, a doing lit. it on purpose. He, like, he, he just likes to be organized. Like, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't work. So, but that's okay. Um, it probably looked kind of cool. It, it, it actually did. It looked, his deck was, was really pretty and colorful. So, yeah. um, but anyways, back to your question. I'm sorry for that. Tangent. That's okay. The I don't know that the new objective set's going to change how many objectives you want to play with, but it will certainly give the light side some different options. Um, I just look at, um, we'll take Kyle Katarn for instance. Mm -hmm. He has, um, you know, he has a good ability, he has three unit damage. And a blast damage that, if I remember right, is edge dependent, but the unit damage are not. So he's hard to block. He, that three unit damage will kill things. Right. If you don't block him, that's pretty decent objective damage. You send him with um, someone else, the aforementioned Godel Outcast, for instance. So now the light, now the dark side player. You know, he's dangerous to block. You you need to neutralize him first. But um, if you stop him I, with tactics, the outcast still strikes through. And it gives you a... It gives Jedi a way to um, sneak damage through by making... With the, by making their unit dangerous to block, and then if the dark side does block, it finally gives them a way to um, start wearing down that defensive shield that dark side can put up. You know, when when you can put up so many nice small units to block with, the failing vehicle decks have against that is they never do any damage back to them. Right. The the units just sit there. While and the wall gets bigger as the light, as the vehicles just kind of throw themselves against it, sneak through a little damage and die. Right. So if you have attackers that can ping damage through and wear down the defensive wall, it makes a big difference. Um, and he also gives the light side a great defensive unit. Not many dark side units can attack into him without fear. Right, right, right. No, no, no. I, I would definitely agree. I, I think that. You know, especially with some of the other tricks, uh, you know, a lightsaber deflection, and now he does four unit damage. Yeah, I love lightsaber deflection. It's such a good card. It's just like, oh, that's that's cute. You want to damage my units? Nah, I'm gonna kill your advisor, the emperor. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's great. So, okay, so um, moving on here, um, Matt, did, did you have anything else to add, or can we move on? Uh, I also wanted to point out. Um, I think the cards, Ron's guidance, Ran's guidance, however you pronounce the name. Right. Um, the event card that is one of the first kind of like a tutor card 
for the game. You can look for a Jedi unit in the top five cards of your deck. Yes. Big failing of early pure Jedi decks or was they were so unit light. Mm-hmm. This allows you to find those units, and now the fact that your deck is um, has like 18 units and a bunch of enhancements mm-hmm. doesn't as much because you have much more much fewer times when you're sitting there it's like well i can't play anything this turn and pass yeah. and and then you lose yeah yeah i i hate i hate that uh, yeah the, the early days of of jedi decks were just ugh, it was just terrible it's like oh cool i have like three resources and four fate cards this will be fun so, uh, okay, so uh, moving on to our uh, light side deck that we've been uh, playing this week. Um, it is also a 11-set objective deck, and it has two Heroes Journey, one Yoda, two Ben Kenobi, two uh, Secret of uh, Yavin 4, which is the Guardian objective set, one Self-Preservation, one Knowledge and Defense, and two Lando Calrissian. Now, originally we had Redemption in this deck, um, but we replaced it with Self-Preservation. Mainly because Redemption uh, was is such it, it's a great set, but like Adam was saying in uh, earlier, it's really better suited for two versus two. It really is. Redemption costs five. That's a lot of resources spent for one card. Um, yeah, it has three Force icons, so you can grab the Force pretty easily with that. But if it dies, that's the only copy in the deck, and you can't use the Interrupt anymore, which is just really really depressing. Um, the other event cards are really great, and uh, like Matt, me and Matt were talking about this over uh, texting, and uh, he's was like, I mean, the the, Cor- the uh, Corellian engineer just really isn't useful because it doesn't do anything other than shielding. And my my retort was, it has two HP plus shielding, but you know, overall, yeah, it doesn't do anything. It's just okay, cool. There's a unit that, that blocks, yay. So. We put self-preservation in mainly because you gain an extra force icon for the force struggle, which is great. If you have Yoda committed, that's that's just so many force icons. Godal Outcast is good in either a edge battle or using him to actually deal a lot of damage. So if you're able to take the force on, you know, turn two, awesome. You can play two Godal Outcast, and that's four objective damage that's probably most likely going to get through. They're also a force u- user, which can trigger. The um, uh, Forgotten Heroes, which draws a card. Obviously, card draws is very, very useful. Uh, putting two Ben Kenobis in here was mainly for, really, Ben Kenobi, Jedi Mind Trick, Our Most Desperate Hour, and Heat of Battle. Jedi in Hiding is great, but in all honesty, um, I mainly use him as just kind of edge fodder. Like, I, There's really no use for him. He only has one HP. He's really not that great of a unit. Uh, I, I don't feel that he has any viability versus a Sith control. Now, versus Navy, heck yeah, that's great because if they have the you know, 2 ATSD on the field and you block with them, you can at least get one damage out there because you're not going to take any damage yourself. So he, he is good versus uh, the other different variants of the deck. We only have one Yoda in here because we really don't need two of them. The deck has more than enough resources. Um and Yoda only having 2 HP, and this isn't um, a very heavy enhancement deck as well. I mean, it has enhancements, but most of those are going to be going on to Luke, uh, sometimes on to Lando. Um, I have put a couple enhancements on Yoda to really kind of try and beef him up, which has won me a couple games. Uh, obviously, Knowledge and Defense, just such a great objective set. While it's undamaged, um, 
if a unit is participating in the engagement, you can return it to your hand, which is just awesome. Daughters of Alia, like Nick was talking about, just such great cards. They have 2 HP, so it's going to be really hard for a Sith player to kill them. So, I mean, it, it, the way I look at it is if Vader, if they want to waste a Force Choke and a Vader's Effect on Daughters of Alia, that's fine with me. That means one of my units is going to live a little bit longer. Obviously, Yoda's Protection is just really, really good on, on any objective set. Um, Confronting Terror, very, very good card. I uh, misread it and... Um, just did not use it correctly, but uh, Matt was thankfully corrected me. But it's still a great card. It's also a very, very good edge card. You can play it once and just say pass and you know trick your opponent into thinking it might be a twist or something like that. It's three force icons. Um, and then then we have the protection, which is just such a great card. And then we, we kind of get to what I like to call the bread and butter, butter of the deck, which is Trust Me and Lando Calrissian. Both of these cards are excellent. Trust Me obviously is going to be able to clear any event cards that are played for two damage which is just great i mean it's like oh force choke nope force lightning nope you know dark precog nope sometimes you want to do that just in case to, to win that edge battle a little bit uh uh more securely and then lando calrissian because there's so much resources in this deck you can usually play him and still be okay with uh using his effect at least once it's great on defense great on offense um uh sabotage is also really good against the navy deck and of course target of opportunity so I like all, all around. I think this deck has a lot of answers for a lot of different things, and I've had some really really good success with it so far. Um, Matt, have you had a chance to test this exact deck yet, or have you been mainly testing the, the, the dark side stuff? I haven't tested this exact one. I've been playing um, my pure Jedi version mm -hmm. that has um, two Yodas and doesn't have Lando. Okay, um, but. I, I think it highlights something that I've been trying recently in my, um, especially my light side deck construction, but is true for both sides. And that was, you know, I, I looked over some of the light side sets we got from Hoth, mm -hmm. and particularly knowledge and defense, self preservation. I look at them, I'm like, these are awesome sets. Why do I never play them? <laughs> yeah. And it it came down to. I was getting stuck in the mindset of everything goes in two copies. Right. Because if it's good enough to get one copy, I want two. Mm -hmm. And I think, and what I realized was these sets that have two of a unit and don't have a big unit, they're not really meant to be included as two copies. Right. I, I mean, I don't know if um, Nate and Eric and the rest of the design team sit there and be like, Hmm, we'll give them this objective set, and if they play two copies of it, they're a fool. Ha ha ha. <laughs> I, you know, I, I've, I've met Nate and Eric at least at Gen Con, and they don't quite seem like that kind of person, but I digress. Right. The, um, they're really one-time sets. You, mm -hmm. you know, you don't need four Godels, you don't need four Daughters, but two of them is useful, yes. and the other cards in the set are very useful. Um, so when I when you free yourself up and then I end up playing these Jedi decks that have a couple of sets times two and then singletons of four, five, six other sets and they run better because they still have all the answers and I'm not drawing extras of the cards I don't really need extras of. Right. 
No, I would definitely agree with that. Um, Nick, have you had a chance to test this? Uh, I know you've been a little bit busy with um, this week. Uh, we, we... Wow, words. What the hell? Uh, I know you've been a little bit busy with um, uh, just life in general this week, but have you had a chance to test uh, this deck at all? I haven't had to. Uh, I haven't played it myself. I did play a game against you with right. it, and uh, that's uh, if you go to our Facebook page, uh, you can uh, look at Patrick's post about the results of that match. Um, Veers. I mean, yeah, General Veers. You know, uh, I'm pretty sure he's the only one to escape Hoth without dying. Pretty much, I think he gets like paralyzed or something. But uh, <laughs> long story short, uh, I've played a deck similar to this, with the exception of uh, Lando. Uh, pretty consistently, and and I find them to work, you know, exceptionally well. Um, Lando's not a card I use very often because I hate, uh, you know, a telegraphed move. It's like he hits the board. It's like you know, if they have a resource out, they're going to use it uh, to the best of their ability. So, um, Lando's not a, a must-include card for me. Uh, I played him a few times, but uh, I I think this deck is a very strong deck. Uh, obviously, the match we played, uh, you had Yoda out. That was great. Um, I didn't see Ben Kenobi or any of the daughters uh, or the Godals, but right. uh, you had pretty much all the other strong Jedi characters, mm-hmm. uh, especially a, a Lando-Luke team-up, which was pretty strong. Um, but if you can get a, a lot of units out, that's that's a lot of damage you can put on the other team. And Lando can only do it once per turn, so uh, you know, you're know you keeping him from exploiting that because it has that limitation. Right, you know, I, I think with Lando, it is very telegraphed, but it's still mind games. It's still like, okay, crap, do I – I only have two defenders, so do I defend with both of them and then have one get knocked out and, you know, possibly uh, – had because, I mean, really, if you think about it, the, the Darkseid player is generally going to have two to three defenders in you know, the first couple turns. So if Lando hits the field early – He's going to be able to knock one of them out, focus the other one down, and then deal objective damage and still still do what he was meant to do. And then that can sometimes allow Luke to strike again and kill the other guy off, or that can allow Yoda to do just an absurd amount of damage and tactics everybody out. So I think that, yeah, it's telegraphed and it's obvious, kind of like, oh, you have two rebel resources open. Huh, wonder what's going to happen now. I mean, but, I mean, it's it's more of the, okay, what's the... The least likely, um, most un, you know, brutal death that I want to take as this, as as this battle kind of progresses, and you know, in the game that we played, it was you know Yoda, Luke, Lando, and I was able to just kind of use Lando's effect to pretty much force you to lose units. It wasn't like I was making it obvious. I was I was forcing you to pick what what units you wanted to die, basically. And, and I think that I think really that's kind of what Lando's Excuse me. What Lando's strength is. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. I think in that particular match, and and I, I think we streamed it, right? We tried, but then my uh, streaming software cut off at mid- midway through. So. Okay, so uh, essentially, um, I was playing uh, a navy deck that was posted also on our Facebook page, mm-hmm. uh, something I'd never played before. Um, that was really heavy in terms of walkers. Yes. Uh, hence why you see General Veers come out late in the game. Um, but that was definitely, I think, uh, part of your strategy, at least from my side, it seemed like I had to overcommit my forces yep. to counter you because I knew one was going to get eliminated. Yes. So 
Um, the 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 one benefit I think, and my saving grace in that game was that I didn't know how um, to read I was cards. Playing, well, <laughs> well, yeah, but I I had walkers out with shielding, and I had the uh, just your lock, stock, and barrel ATSTs, but with that aft armor plating. Yes, and then uh, I had the Blizzard ATSTs, and uh, so you had those out at the same time, and it was kind of like, well, I'll defend with both of them, and he can choose which one he wants to get rid of, right. but at least he's not going unopposed. And, and I think that was the important thing is I was able to save a couple of objectives uh, more than once just without uh, allowing you to get that unopposed damage, which I think some players would just say, well, I know you're going to take my one defender out, so I'm just going to let you go through and I'll accept the you know, the slap on the face. But uh, you really can't do that with a light side deck because oh. it, it's it's too easy, especially with Luke coming in. And, and that's one of the great synergies of the, the light side deck is that you have Luke for offense and defense and, and that ability is just disgusting especially with like a trust your feelings or uh, any kind of lightsaber enhancement uh, he just becomes so disgustingly powerful that you can't allow that on objective damage it, it may be one point here or there across a couple of objectives but it, it's unacceptable yeah no i'm i, I would definitely agree I, I know one thing i also want to point out is that this deck probably and does not do as well against uh, Sith control as it does Navy, mainly because of Force Choke. And I just, I just, I, I kind of want to point that out real quick. Is Force Choke is really that powerful versus a light side character deck because of the limitations and what light side can actually do to prevent damage? I mean, Lando only has two HP, so if Vader's out in the field, I'm really hesitant to play him because it's like, oh, cool, he's out and he's gone. So, I mean. It's really, really difficult to find that synergistic play style for a character light side deck right now, which is one of the reasons why Slew Scouts is so powerful because Force Check, Force Check, Force Choke does not do anything versus vehicles unless Vader Force Chokes himself, which is kind of funny picturing that, or Force, force Chokes another one of his units to use his effect to damage a Slew Scout. So. Again, this is just us trying to break the mold and trying to m make some really interesting decks that just people go, what the heck? Okay, that works. Um, so right now, the light side variant of our deck is it works. I honestly enjoy playing it more than any other deck that I've played so far. I think it fits my playstyle pretty well. And um, I just, I don't know. I, I, I think we'll be playing this until the new Force Cycle comes out, mainly because I, I just, I hate, I hate playing vehicles. I hate aggressive play. I'd rather just take my time, control the field, and then slap you in the face. Um, obviously, Matt likes to play the super control, like, hey, here's my wall, and you have fun with that. Uh, Nick is more of the well-rounded player who just really likes kind of everything in a basket to shake it and then throw it at the opponent. And then, obviously, I'm more of a... Uh, kind of middle ground between well-rounded and, and control. So um, we've been going for a long time. This has been a very long episode, but lots to talk about, a lot of uh, things to cover th this week. So I appreciate everyone who's been sticking through with uh, the interview with Adam. Really, really thank you very much for being on the show. Do appreciate your time, sir. Matt and Nick, I appreciate you guys stepping up to be uh, the new uh, host of the show. I think uh, that we're going to have a lot of fun together. And um, as always, guys, uh, you can always find us on all of our social media. Um, we do have a new email address. It is tableflipshow at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, topics, or if you'd like to be on the show with us, we greatly encourage all of our community listeners and all of our listeners in general to uh, at least try to be on the show at least once to talk about any topic they uh, do choose. It does have to be the card game uh, 
uh, specifically related. And um, we will be more than happy to have you on the show. Uh, we do have a schedule. Uh, the next opening is in January, like the third or fourth week of January. So um, we're starting to, to, to fill our guest slots up pretty quickly here, guys. So if you would like to be on the show, email us at tableflipshow at gmail.com. Also follow us on Facebook. Uh, the Facebook is, let me just double check here, make sure I get the address right because I usually get it wrong. I think it is just Table Flip Podcast. Yeah, it is uh, www.facebook.com forward slash tableflippodcast. And our Twitter is um, at tableflipshow because tableflip was taken. So um, those are our social media outlets. Um, you can always uh, find us on the card game boards as well as the FFG boards. But I'll be honest, I don't usually browse the FFG boards all that often. Mainly just use Card Game Database, uh, which is just a, an exceptional site. Um, so we're going to go on to personal shout-outs and whatnot. Matt, go ahead with yours. All right. I want to give a quick shout-out to the um, top-tier gaming um, group, and in particular for the Octagon League that they've been running. This is the second time they've run it. It ends in like a two weeks and um, you know it's been great to um, have some incentive to get online play a bunch of people in a semi-competitive environment um, you know when a league game you get to see um, people taking things nice and serious and you know if I'm not playing in the league game i might break out some crazy deck that I think is horrible just to see what happens. And that's fun too. But then it gives me no idea how good the deck actually is. And um, also free prizes are always nice. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, Nick, what are your shout-outs? I just want to give a shout-out to Patrick who puts the show on. He's really the uh, the workhorse behind it. A uh, shout-out to Matt for also being another co-host and stepping up. Uh, this is a great opportunity, and I think uh, it's really great for the fan base. And uh, prior to becoming a host for the show, I mean, I listened every week and was pretty active on Card Game DB. So uh, I just want to say to everybody out there, you know, make sure you're you're staying active and uh, and posting, and and we love to hear your comments. So so make use of the Facebook and the Twitter uh, and all the different ways to reach us. Uh, anytime you have a question or comment, uh, we definitely appreciate it. And uh, we hope to hear from you in the future. Uh, and any decks you want to send us to test out, uh, I love doing that. I love looking at a lot of different new stuff. So uh, shout out to all the fans. Uh, and that's my kit and caboodle story. Cool. Very, very nice. Yeah, I did definitely thank you to all the fans who have been listening uh, to us for a better part of the year now. Um, we are slowly creeping up to uh, seven, I almost said 7,000, <laughs> 7, 700 consistent downloads through all of our media outlets. And I am just very, very, uh, very, very, um, what's what I'm looking for, uh, very humbled and uh, grateful for, for everyone that uh, clicks that download button. I really do appreciate it. Um, I know that it's been a kind of a rough year. A lot of things have happened and a lot of things were um, kind of tossed around. But uh, this next year, we do plan to have a lot of really neat things going for you guys. Um, we now are officially on the Team Covenant website, going to be posting our shows on their website as well. So big shout-out to Zach for making that possible. Thank you very much. Um, we are slowly working towards to some really cool partnerships with a couple uh, big names as well. Can't really go into the details, of course, but uh, also looking to get some cool more giveaways uh, for the listeners through the FFG guys. Um, I know that um, we're going to be start talking with them uh, next year. 
to try and get you guys some cool prizes and cool giveaways that uh, you guys might not actually have access to because you don't have a store that's going to be able to get the championship back or something. So we're, we're going to try and give out some really cool prizes. Um, I know that this next coming year we are going to be organizing a um, a uh, event kind of like what Tiny Grimes did uh, for the regional, and we are going to be coordinating with um, a couple big names here as well with that. Um, can't really go into details, unfortunately, because of uh, don't want to say something and it not happen. But we are going to be uh, hosting a really big online tournament via Octagon this year. Look forward to doing that, as well as some trying. We're going to try and pull out some video content as well. Not sure if that's going to be um, in the earlier part of this coming year. Probably, probably after the four cycle has started to kind of uh, come off in full swing there, as we get some cards and some interesting new meta. Um, as well as going to try and do some more streaming. I know that that's been asked and requested of a lot of you, not just of um, us, but of just of just random people in the community. Of like, you know, every time someone streams, it's really fun to kind of see all other people play. Um, I know that uh, me, Nick, and Matt try and stream as much as possible, but sometimes Octagon does not work with streaming software. We've found it just randomly closes it, which is a big bug and a big issue. I'm not sure if that'll be fixed anytime soon, but um, it's really hard to kind of work around that sometimes. So um, other than that, guys, just another big thank you to all of you who have stuck around for uh, this show and supported us throughout this last year. Very, very big thanks. Uh, we will have one more show this year, which will be recorded on the 22nd and posted on Christmas, no doubt, which is actually quite funny. Uh, probably going to post it a little bit earlier just so I don't have to work on Christmas, which would be a... Probably my wife would not be, be happy about that. But I uh, wanted to give a shout-out to my lovely wife and son who allow me to record this every two weeks. Big thank you to them. And um, big shout-out to Fantasy Flight Games for just developing an awesome game and really kind of supporting their community as the game has grown. And uh, that is going to be everything, guys. Once again, thank you very much. May the force be with you. God bless. And we will see you guys next week, two weeks from now, actually. Bye-bye.